Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to this podcast of Mercy Unbound. Today, I get to speak with Dr. Tom Nelson, an osteopathic physician who uh, lives outside uh, Chicago. And uh, a few years ago, he had an interesting experience. A dying patient of his came to the office seeking advice, and they talked about end-of-life issues. And he asked her, who's going to take care of you? And she looked at him kind of blank face and said, I don't have anybody, doctor, will you? So Dr. Tom took on the role of caregiver. Meanwhile, he had a busy practice and was a football coach. I hope you enjoy this fascinating story. And the end result is this. Uh, it's in giving that we receive. And Tom received so much out of this and grew so much spiritually. I hope you enjoy the show. Please share and subscribe. God bless. And thank you for joining us on Mercy Unbound. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a series that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today, I have a special guest. We've got an interesting topic. Um, Dr. Tom Nelson is an osteopathic physician, lives in outside the Chicago area. Uh, he completed his family medicine residency at LaGrange Memorial. He had a major transformation in his faith through the ministry of the JP2 Healing Center in Tallahassee. That's Dr. Bob Schutz. Uh, I've interviewed Carrie and her husband, Duane. And uh, today's show really ties in, in some ways, three different uh, previous shows. Uh, we're going to talk about Tom's story in the Daunt's uh, book, Man Your Post. And that show we did was 111. And um, Tom was also helped and healed and matured in his spiritual growth through the Unbound Ministry. And I had done two shows with uh, Lloyd and Nancy Greenaw, uh, shows 71 and 72, I'd suggest you look at. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about his interesting story of how a physician became the primary caregiver for one of his terminally ill patients. And I encourage people to go back to show 101 with Michelle Johnson, who wrote a book on the way of the cross for caregivers. Uh, we're going to talk about that today as well. So kind of a long-winded intro there, Tom, but welcome to, today to Mercy Unbound. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here with you. You know, you mentioned the JP2 Center and kind of walk us through how they helped you in your rethinking or change in attitude of what it takes to really be in the healing profession and uh, maybe share what you were like before that and where you look at things now. Yes. Um, so I, um, that was very um, mission oriented. I was caught up with, I got my identity from what I did. And so my, my practice, uh, the things I did outside the office, I was uh, the managing partner for our medical practice um, and about seven doctors big and, and then I had I was a head football coach and a team physician for a, a, a Catholic high school right near my office, so it was very easy to. And this is a school that my children attended, um, and so um, in 2017 I get handed Dr. Bob's book Be Healed, and uh, I read it and I said there is a doubting Thomas. There's no way this could possibly be. So I went up to, to Minnesota for my first healing retreat. There was a men on fire retreat and yeah, my life was changed. I had a, I had a, what I thought was just a physical healing. Um, 
It wasn't necessarily even in the, the retreat itself. It was actually in the middle of the night. And um, I'm just, as I, as I look over your head, I see the image of divine mercy, Jesus. And that's exactly the image that appeared to me and, and just healed my, my physical self. And as I processed this and got in touch with Dr. Bob and a priest that I, that I know, I, um, I realized it was a spiritual and emotional healing as well. Because healing is not, is not just happening uh, on a, a physical sense. It's our whole person being healed. And so that drove me into, you know, I, I called out as a retreat junkie, went down to the Tallahassee, went to a lot of different retreats. And I just started learning. I learned part of my brain that was kind of shut off to that type of um, awareness. And um, it's been great. It's been, um, it's still happening and, and it's it's really beautiful. You know, you're the first person in my 30 years of traveling, speaking on divine mercy that said a quote you just mentioned that I say as well, and that it used to be my identity was as Dr. Thatcher and Brian, the doctor, and that's who you were. You ate, drank, and slept that, and the inner person kind of got lost in all that. Um, it, it's something, isn't it, that, that that's what happens? Yes. Yes. And an ability to constantly surrender into that identity, right? It takes a while for you to understand your beloved nature. You know, um, in the Dance book, your, your chapter is on uh, St. Joseph and courage. What, what really is courage? Yeah. So I think courage is the ability to face fear with a willingness to take on difficult situations some of which can be which, some of which can be dangerous and others that can be, cause pain and suffering and it really gets to gets down to the the gift of fortitude you know courage and fortitude are sometimes used interchangeably but i really you know that's a gift one of the cardinal virtues and it's a gift of the holy spirit and i realize that it's only through that gift that we are able to uh, conquer fear and things that are difficult you know, we don't hear much about St. Joseph in Scripture, obviously, and we, and we don't really sometimes reflect on his courage. Can you share with us some instances where St. Joseph displayed that courage? Yeah, the, the, the first one and the one that came to me as I was writing my chapter was when he had to flee to Egypt. Um, the message of an angel, um, you know, get, get waking up in a dream and trusting and realizing that there was danger and he had to exert his bravery and protect Mary and, um, and baby Jesus. And um, that's a, the one of the, the main ones I think of, but also think about when he, uh, when Mary was pregnant, when they went into Bethlehem and they had nowhere to stay, no room at the end. And you're, you know, I, he's not an OB guy and he, I know that for sure. So he had to be in a position to, to serve and, uh, and, and just uh, with the most raw circumstances. And then the last last one is probably the first example of courage is when Mary, when he was betrothed to Mary and he, then he, he found out that she was with the child and um, he wanted to leave her. And there was so much fear. And I, can't, I can imagine the fear and the, the concern and, and what people would have thought of the whole situation at that time. So those are three, three episodes of his, his courage. In, in the book, um you talk about one of your patients, um, Joan. Um, walk us through that from the beginning. You, you took care of her for a long time, didn't you? 
I did. I it's it's interesting, and I didn't think of this until uh, recently. Is I was like, how did I, how did she ever end up as a patient? Well, I was it, it was 1990. I was just out of medical residency, and she, and I was the newest doctor, so I had a lot of room in my schedule. And she tripped and fell right in front of our office. How what a circumstance! So she she had a bad abrasion on her knee, and so I had to care for her knee and. That's how we became acquainted. And I don't think she had seen a doctor for a long time, but there was this connection. You know, obviously the Holy Spirit was involved with that. And uh, for 18 years, I took care of her until, um, but she was a, she was an interesting woman. She was very private. Didn't, you know, it was almost like pulling teeth to have her share. But uh, she would always ask about, you know, sports and things that were easy. And then she'd always want to know about my family. And over the years, she actually would, you know, buy gifts for my kids at Christmas time. You know how patients do that. Um, she would, um, yeah, always want to talk about. She she knew I was a Cubs fan, so she was always rubbing my face in their struggles. Um, and uh, yeah, and then she lived right across the street from a a youth football um, field, and she would go watch games. You know how many ladies that age would watch the you know football. You know, so so it was fun because that was my passion as well. So we had a lot of connection over the game of football. So it was like you said, eighteen years, um, and then when when was she diagnosed with? Uh, was it lung cancer? Correct. Um, I believe it was like uh, two thousand and seven, in the summer of two thousand and seven. And how long did she survive uh, with that? She she about I think it was a year and you know about fifteen months, maybe eighteen months. So at some point, you and she discuss the end of life situation or caregiving. Walk us through that, share with us uh, that experience. So, so she, you know, back in the old days when we didn't have electronic records, so always the, the reports from all the consultants were sitting on top of the chart. And my nurse said, you got a lot of reports to look at because Joan was coming in that day and it was a, a, a really hot summer day, I remember. and. Um, and she was an avid walker. So I was just, it was, it was just interesting. She was, you know, um, yeah. But so I looked at the reports and the, 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 the oncologist was basically introduced the conversation because the treatment wasn't helping her. So we decided uh, at that visit that I needed to enter into that conversation about, you know, end of life, um, end of life situations and what, what was she was about to do and what, what her support system was so we could you know, prepare her. Were you surprised when you said, you know, who's going to take care of you and her replies and things? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's probably one of the, I, I still think about that, uh, that time, but she, she was, she was sitting in the, in the, in, in the office. And um, when I started talking about things, I was talking about it, like I knew she had someone to serve her and she sat there with a really blank look on her face. And I'm thinking, well, Really, I don't know much about her family except, you know, her mom and dad were deceased and her brother was estranged and she hadn't talked to him. But I didn't know about cousins. And so I said, uh, you know, do you have any out of town relatives that can help? And she said, nothing. And I'm like, okay. And then she said, uh, yeah, I, I need your help. And I knew at that time that I was at like, my heart was like throbbing, my was racing. I was like, my dry mouth. I'm like, okay, like, there's no one else in her life right now. What am I, what I have a, so I was, you know, I'm thinking back, I was like, well, I could have tried to force her into like getting home care and all these services that are provided. 
she she didn't let anybody in her house. She was so private. So I I knew right then that there was gonna, it was going to demand something out of me. And so yeah, I I said of course. And and I, when I said that, I was like, I wish I could have grabbed my words and almost taken them back. But there were the Lord's words for me. Yeah. It's a it's a disheartening uh, answer when you hear that the person has really no family no close friends, no loved ones. And, uh, and it's like tag, you're it. And, uh, and yet how many physicians, um, this is the first time I've ever heard of a physician becoming the caregiver for a dying patient. Um, and that's what makes it fascinating to me. So what did you say to her after you said, I will help? Well, um, I, it, it was it was almost like a pause where there was there was she felt relieved and I and I was I went into you know brain mode like okay you know we can you know we do this we do this and you know we have to you know figure out how we're going to communicate and then my you know another part of it because she didn't have a, a power of attorney my nurse became her healthcare power of attorney so she so we had a, and then we had to meet with the attorney with all the legal things and I made sure all the there was such clear boundaries and all the things that had to be taken care of. And then, yeah, I, when I, 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 the rest of the day was a blur. I, you know, as she left and I knew at some point we're going to connect again and I'll, I'll figure it out then because I, you know, how you're busy in the every 15 minutes with patients. Right. And so yeah, on the way home, I, I, I really, when I got home, I talked to my wife and, and, and then I had to call my, my dad's a physician and, you know, he's a, just a perfect model of St. Joseph for me as well. But, um, I, I called on him and my brother was a physician and my, they said, you know, it, you, if it's on your heart, you have to, you have to do it. Wow. Um, you, yeah. And so I said, okay. So that's, that's when the, the chaos started. Now, did she have a will and everything at that point in time? Oh, yeah, it was all that we, I had to help her. We had to walk her through it. She did it with her attorney, but I was just like, no, you got to do this. You got to do that. I actually went to the attorney's office with her. Because she otherwise she probably wouldn't have done it because she had such a fear of encounters within relationships. So it was a very privileged spot to be in, Brian, to 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 know that that this person trusted me as much as she did. Now, kind of walk us through if you think of any memorable events in this whole journey. But if she deteriorated, you probably had to get more involved and share with us some of those things. Yeah, I was praying this morning, and what came up to me was just um, my work with my nurse and I would share responsibilities. I had to go there in the morning when she got debilitated, where we had to get oxygen, and she could only be on the first level of her house. So I had a key to get in. I'd walk in, I'd make her coffee in the morning. She could walk to get coffee. The bathroom was pretty close. All that stuff was, um, and and then we would, you know, buy her food, put in the you know, figure out how she was pretty handy with all very simple the way she ate and by the, by that time she was doing a lot of protein shakes because she wasn't eating a lot as well but that that and then i go after work one of us to stop in we had to take her dog out too think about that mm -hmm. you know she had a dog punky and um yeah at the end of her life she actually uh, willed that to my nurse mm -hmm. yeah so 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 that's that's kind of how the typical day was until it got you know closer to the end and you know probably about six weeks um, before she, uh, well, the, the conversations, you know, I think one of the things that I needed to, to relate is that it was pretty, 
you know, um, at the beginning when I go over there, she wouldn't even open the door. She'd hand me things through the door. That's how private she was. And that, that was like, I was like, now how the heck am I going to be her caregiver? But she and I let me in her house, right? And she had specific places I had to go to and to different, it was really, it was more than I could ever have dreamed of taking on. And so, and I almost, I really was on the verge of an emotional breakdown because I was trying to keep all those other things, all the balls in the air. I was trying to do all those other activities. And when um, she uh, got closer to the, uh, our conversations shifted and every anytime I want to talk about her faith, because I really wanted to get a priest in, you know, bringing her suffering and her sadness really early on, but she just gave me the highest one. She said, nope, I don't need that. She would change the subject. And then I said, okay. Um, and then it wasn't until six weeks before that I said, you know, Lord, you know, I, you know, I don't ever journey with someone that close closely as they're going through dying from lung cancer, right? So I'm like, this is getting close. She's not eating now. She's all the, you know, the food's not going anywhere. She's getting constipated. She's getting all these things. So I ended up uh, uh, calling a priest friend of mine, uh, Jim, Father Jim, who grew up with my family. Uh, St. Mary's Parish from Riverside and great friend of the family. Um, and I just called him. I said, this is the situation. And I said, she's not going to want to see it. Can you, I was almost like, can you do all the sacraments through the door, right? Can you do them through the outside? And she, so, so he finally said, Tom, because the worst thing she can do is throw us out. I'm like, good point. So we did. And so I'll never forget it. So we went there and she opened the door and when she saw him, I had to stick my foot in the door to keep her from closing it. <laughs> so, so, so it was really, and then when, when, when we got in the room, you know, dining or her living area, um, she sat down and, you know, she, she was, I've never felt this anger and she was, she, all these emotions that were just coming out of her wounds were just, just, and I was feeling like the worst guy in the world thinking I'm violating her, her choice not to have, her, her sacraments and, and whatever. And so Father Jim basically started talking to her and just just like we are. And he talked about, you know, do you know how much Jesus loves you? And she just kind of like never heard it in those terms. And, and to come from someone else and, and having the, 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 the power with, with his collar on. And, and so she finally listened. And as he started describing things, you could see that she was just so ready. And, and I think you know, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation where she was able to forgive, I think, herself for all the self-reliance and, you know, for, for her making a choice to turn away from God after, it was after her dad died in a, a tragic car accident. I think she got real angry with God and so she pulled away from the church at that time. So, so it was just a beautiful thing and I just felt so much joy after that. Mm. I felt um, uh, <clears throat> I just felt like um, the Lord was showing me like uh, just a better way, just a better way to to be, you know. And and, and no one, no one got hurt. Everybody was fine. She got the sacraments, and then all all the conversations after that. I was almost like I I knew her my whole lifetime because she was able to talk about issues in her family that she wasn't able to talk about before. So I really got to know some really beautiful things and what she was going to do with her money and her state. So. So that's where we went. Well, that's a beautiful story. You know, when I think of you being the caregiver, 
I was fortunate enough to be involved in the care of my father uh, the last two years of his life. And um, I look back, the large family, the ministry, I don't, traveling, I, I don't know how I did it. And it was so tough, but yet it was kind of like the old saying, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And yet now I'm so happy that I was asked by the Lord to do it. And I have no regrets and, you know, no more phone calls from dad. No, And you miss those things. And what kind of words can you give to caregivers who are stressed out and discouraged or upset with themselves because they may lose it once in a while? And uh, you got it's a tough walk, isn't it? Yes, very much so. And being thrust in that position, I, you know, I know I made like probably all the mistakes you know, in the world is trying to, to, to control the experience. And I think, you know, like Christ did, you know, he, he came in a situation and St. Joseph too, right? I mean, he came into situations and um, met people where they were. He met them where they were. They, you know, we have an agenda, we have our life, we have our, our things that we do, but to be able to just come in and just be, sit there and be silent with someone, let them just and, and that, there were so many times I went over to, and just there was silence. We just, we didn't talk about anything. We just knowing that I was there was important. And I was, in my brain was thinking like, what is happening in my life? You know, so I was a whole, there was healing happening in me at the same time. You know, I remember when my uh, mom was dying, she was in an Alzheimer's unit. My dad was debilitated, couldn't go visit her. And I went to sit with dad and it's like what you said. I didn't say a word. I didn't know what to say. You know, we both were just praying and uh, asking God to be merciful to my mom. And uh, sometimes I look back and I say, well, I wish I would have said something to dad. And, and you know, but um, they're, they're difficult times, but it's such a, it's like the most important in your life moment in your life after the moment of your birth is when you pass on. And most physicians never think about that because we're, like you said, we're thinking diagnoses and treatments and all this stuff. And um, this really helped you grow, didn't it? It did. It really did. And, and as you were speaking about that, I just thought of, um, you know, when, when, she, when she was in active death, you know, see, I was still stuck. So I, well, it was after a football game. So I'm racing over to cover my nurse and and Joan is an act of death and the hospice nurse, um, you know, was stuck way far away and she wasn't going to get there in time. And just to just, you know, giving medicine to my patient and just weird. It's like, am I giving too much? Am I going to kill the, you know, just all the, the things as a physician that I was going through. But when all, all I did was I, I panicked, I was like, Lord, you know, I, I usually do this in a hospital. I walk out and everything's taken care of. And um, so my wife, you know, I called my wife. You know, she's a nurse and she said, get your rosary and pray and I'll pray over here on this side. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, duh. You know, of course I'm going to pray. So I got my rosary out and it was like the, the, the most, I think of our lady of sorrows. Cause I was, when I was in the room and I finished the rosary, there was exactly when the rosary was over that she expired. I'm like, wow. So there's this stillness, this brightness. And it almost, you know, when I think about it, cause I think about that room and, how it just was transformed at the time of her death where it was just got really bright because it was it was later and it was actually in the evening 
And, and, and when that happened, her dog Punky was across the room and Punky didn't like me, okay? Mm -hmm. Punky came walking over at that moment, laid down next to me and put his head on my shoe. Wow. I'm like, like, just like he needed someone because Joan was gone. And I just felt like, wow, this is pretty special. But, but the, the power of the prayer, the peace and the joy and the, with the tears and everything going on with the total, it was, it was so surreal. And I, and, and the Lord did that. He, he really wanted me to know. And then, you know, the next week when we buried her, um, you know, there was no wake. I'm thinking how many people die and go right to their burial site. So they bring the, the body and I, I met there and and we when we went to the grave site, we, um, you know, they, I said a prayer, they asked me and they open up the the casket so I can, you know, identify her in the, in the casket. And um, I had one of my Nazareth football hats on and I, I put it right on her, her chest when they closed the casket. I was thinking, cause she, cause she, as you know, from my story that she donated, uh, her state, the majority of her state to Nazareth Academy. And um, yeah, it was just like, so, so, so it's such a weird, when I left, I was driving home and I, I just was like, what happened? What happened the last year and a half of my life? And I called my wife again. And what did she say? She says, Tom, um, go to adoration, spend time with Jesus. And by that, that's the gift Joan Valenta gave me. The gift to go spend time with Jesus and help him allow me to discern what is right, what I should be doing, how to get out of the way. And that's been, initially it was an intermittent thing, but after that it was, uh, it's a daily thing now. And it's just powerful. You know, in today's society, we seem to be a society that doesn't want to get involved. And, and yet you got involved and uh, you're such a busy guy to begin with. And then you got involved, but you probably got more out of this or as much as she did, didn't you? I did. I really did. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the chapter on courage, you know, when, when, when I was reached out to, to write the chapter, it was, you know, I, the quote that I put on the, the football field. Now I was not a regular Bible reader or anything like that, but the, but the, 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 the quote was from Deuteronomy 31, six. It was, uh, um, be strong and courageous, courageous, do not fear because of them, because the Lord thy God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I was just like, that's the quote, that's for Joan. And then as, as I was writing this and reflecting on her life, it actually was a quote for me. She had the courage to ask me that question in the office to be there for her, because she was very estranged from all relationships. And it was actually, she, she taught me in that moment how I needed to face my fear the fear of having to change my life, to order it according to the way God wanted me to live my life versus the way I chose to live my life. And so that, that that's exactly right, Brian, because that's that was the, the the gift was was that cracked open a little opening in my heart so that I could um, so I could you know keep and it what didn't hurt. At, at the end of the day, it, it was it was just this beautiful um, experience of, of being able to receive from God, from, from God our Father through Jesus. When you mentioned the little crack in the door of your heart, there's a quote in St. Faustina's diary where um, the Lord and her talk about, you know, if one can only open that door a crack, God's merciful love, the rays 
will penetrate their heart and the heart will crumble into dust. And I think that's what's happened to you because when you think of being merciful, um, that's part of living the message of mercy. It's not just a relationship with God and you, it's with your people you know, your family, your loved ones, the people at work, your patients. And that's what we'd say, it's li living the message. Um, I want to ask you, though, I didn't ask about, you mentioned about getting involved in Unbound. Where where does that tie in in all this? Yeah, that's a good point. So I think uh, this experience with Joan prepared me for my, my healing with Dr. Bob. I mean, I started, you know, getting more active in the church, but when, when Dr. Bob, um, when I got involved with Dr. Bob and the, and the, the, the healing whole person and, and to be healed, I went down to Tallahassee for an I am prayer ministry training. And it, it's, um, his style of prayer that, that he, it's, it, it's a beautiful, um, uh, prayer ministry. But the problem was when we started doing our retreats in our diocese, we couldn't send all our people down to Tallahassee. And so Father Burke, who uh, masters is a dear friend of mine, very active um, in our diocese, he and I um, thought of, well, let's do another ministry. So we brought Unbound Ministry to our diocese so we can train people to do prayer at our healing retreats that we do. So Unbound was Unbound came to us, and obviously we could do it virtually with them. And then um, it's kind of a circle of time because in May, we're, we're actually doing our first I Am Prayer Ministry training up here. So, so Unbound came through the opening and the experience with Dr. Bob, understanding that we need to be able to learn how to pray with people. And that's where the gift, I think, too, is for me, is I've never, um, I've never been comfortable praying with other, other people. And now in the ministry, it's like, it's like drinking water. It's like, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I probably pray with the, 80% of my patients every day. Really? That's beautiful. Cause you know, it's so discouraged and you know, you hear about healthcare professionals getting fired about, you know, wearing a cross or asking somebody if they want them to pray with them and things, but we can't be afraid to be Christians. Can we? No, not at all. No, it's, uh, it's so true. And then the other thing that followed on bound Brian was, a spiritual direction program, which I'm involved with. So Franciscan University now came out to our diocese and we got 40 to 50 uh, lay people and deacons going through um, the spiritual direction program. And I'm in my third year of that. So it's like my, my continuing medical education is all theological right now. It's pretty cool. You know, now what diocese are you in? The Joliet diocese in, uh, yeah, right outside the Chicago diocese. That's beautiful. Aren't you glad when you hit that fork in the road in your life that, you know, like Robert Frost said, you took the road less traveled by? Because I know where I was years ago that I would have said, well, we got to get home care in and we got to see what the government can bring in some agency to help you and this and that. And you took it a different path and it really made all the difference, didn't it? It did. Yeah, it was only by the grace of God and the love and support of the family, you know, encouraged me because that, I mean, yeah, it was a desert road and, and every, every step of the way it was like, it, it forced, it, it forces you to stay in the moment because you don't, you can't, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you don't know. And so don't get too far away from, you know, where you're at. And so 
uh, it was a, it was a gift and um, and looking back and 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 just seeing how um, we have opportunities every day for being and it may not be that dramatic but every opportunity to face fear or help other people face their fears I mean that's when people come in think about it, we just got over this COVID period it was all about fear it's still fear that fear has got to be healed it's going to take decades for that to heal in our practice the fear of immunizations, the fear of what the healthcare doing, the, the way the doctors responded, you know, and I was included in that, you know, maybe not as courageously as we should have on the front end, but you know, we're good and we're going to get through it because we have, we have, uh, you know, our faith. You know, below the image, we all know that the words Jesus wanted were Jesus, I trust in you, and uh, fear is contradicts trust. You know, they're they're at one hundred and eighty degrees apart. You can't have all this fear, and yet so many people have this fear. Uh, Tom, any closing thoughts uh, in this journey uh, before we wrap up today's show? You know, I I think the probably the most important thing because of how busy the world is, and obviously that's Satan's playground. And so my, my main thought that I that I treasure right now is the silence. And so I recommend silence and breathing. That's the other thing. I mean, silence and breathing. You know, it's the first thing we do. You know, it's the last thing we do. And our breath is a very powerful source of quieting our nervous system to allow us to get into silence and spend time. There's only two people present when you're alone in silence. And it's us and the Lord. And, and just to, to quiet yourself enough so then all the other senses become magnified. Because that's what adoration did for me. That's what sitting alone with Joan Valenta did for me. And that's what now I thrive for that. I thrive for that. And I, and I adjust my schedule so that I have that time. So that's my message. And it's so beautiful as we're in this period in our church of a Eucharistic revival to help people to understand the importance of prayer, the Eucharist, the sacraments, living our faith and fighting the good fight and running the good race. So, which is what you've done, Tom. Tom, I want to thank you for joining me today on Mercy Unbound. People, I hope you enjoyed the show. Share and subscribe um, and go back and again, look at some of these earlier shows. Uh, Carrie and Dwayne Daunt on their books, uh, Man, Your Post, Learning to Lead Like St. Joseph. Tom's story is in there. Uh, show 101 with Michelle Johnson on Walking the Way of the Cross for Caregivers. Tom gives in a beautiful example of that. And then um, the Unbound Ministry, we go into detail in show 71 and 72 with uh, Lloyd and Nancy Greenhall. But uh, Dr. Tom Nelson, I want to thank you for joining me on Mercy Unbound and uh, keep up the great work and being a reflection of this image of Jesus Christ to your patients and people you meet and encounter every day. God bless you. God bless you too. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Thank you. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.